Hi everyone and welcome to the Pama Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show uh, and I am delighted to welcome a new guest to the show today, um, social psychologist and author uh, Devon Price. Welcome to the show. Thanks so, so much for having me. Yeah, it's really great to have you. Uh, I'm really excited to to talk about what we're going to talk about today because uh, Devon has written a book um, called Laziness Does Not Exist, which as soon as I saw the title of that book, I wanted to have Devon on the show. Um, such a really fascinating subject. And uh, yeah, we're going to have, I think we have a good time talking about this. So tell us a bit about the book, Devon. Uh, yeah, so the book um, is an outgrowth of an essay that I wrote a few years ago, also called Laziness Does Not Exist. And that essay was mostly about, um, so I'm a professor here in Chicago, and um, it was mostly thinking about my students. Um, I teach a lot of working adults, um, and they're a population that a lot of other professors I've seen just say a lot of really negative things about them procrastinating, being lazy, missing deadlines, being disorganized. And, um, and in that essay, I just really talked about how baffling that was to me because I knew that the students that were getting called lazy and being called procrastinators and things like that were people who were working full-time jobs, uh, taking a full course load of school, raising children, dealing with elderly parents that they had to care for, um, people who were just some of the hardest working and most overwhelmed people around, and they were the ones that got called lazy, um, and just how absurd that seemed to me. Um, so I wrote an essay kind of about that, um, and it connected with a lot of people. And it just the more I thought about it, and the more I talked about it with other people, the more I realized it's not just happening in school. Um, I think all of us are made to feel lazy at our jobs, in not doing enough for the planet, in not doing enough politically. Um, there's so many things in not reading enough information and staying informed enough. We're just all overwhelmed in basically every area of life. And there's just this relentless pressure that no matter how much you're doing, um, it's not enough. And so I really wanted to just write about how when that's, when that's your worldview, when that's your outlook, um, there's no winning you're always going to feel lazy if you're being asked to do too much. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The The system that we live in, the system that we've all been brought up in, kind of indoctrinates you to, you know, to think that you have to work, I don't know, 40, 60 hours a week to justify your existence almost, that, uh, that if you don't work that long, then you're somehow lazy. Uh, you know, it's... And all these myths build build up around laziness and like like somehow like the, the the worst one being like if you're if you're poor or unemployed then you're lazy, which isn't true. Uh, and I know that for a fact because I've experienced it. I've been unemployed for significant periods of time, and I know that I work my butt off um, during those times <laughs> to find a job uh, and to attending interviews and applying for jobs and and you know doing other work. Um, I wasn't being lazy uh it's just a common it's a common kind of insult i suppose criticism that's thrown around uh and <laughs> this is quite ironic that i'm going to say this it's kind of lazily thrown around you know it's uh it's kind of dished around without really thinking about what it means or without really analyzing the facts 
Right. Yeah. I think um, lazy is an explanation that we reach for or that we're taught to reach for because then we can put personal blame on people for something that are actually really structural, massive problems. Right. So I think bringing up poverty is, is and being unemployed, those are some of the the real standout examples where people you know, I'm sure when you were in that situation, you were probably getting all kinds of shaming and, and useless advice from people about what you needed to be doing or what you weren't doing well enough and or had maybe internalized some of that stuff yourself, even though it's just, uh, like you said, an incredible amount of work to just stay above water and to just get uh, move forward in any way at all once you've gotten stuck in that spot. Um, and so, and I talk about this in the book a little bit as well, uh, the myths about laziness help us justify the economic system there, that we're in. It helps us justify not doing enough for people who are experiencing homelessness or who have addictions or who are unemployed. Anybody who the system has kind of thrown through the cracks and not been there for, we can either look at, at the systems that are lacking and say, hey, we really need to do something here. We need to take care of these people. Or um, we can comfort ourselves by saying, oh, that person just didn't work hard enough. They don't have the right drive. Um, they, didn't, they didn't try hard enough. They didn't do everything perfectly. They're lazy. And so it's their fault that these things happened. And so that, that belief system uh, just makes the system perpetuate itself and uh, keeps us from helping the people who need help. Absolutely true. Yeah. Because there's so much more at stake, especially now. Uh, you know, people's mental health comes into it, people's circumstances come into it. And at the same, and also, I don't think human, human beings aren't meant to work as much as we're expected to work. You know, there's not every, not every country works the same hours that we do in America or in England, you know, where I'm from. It's not, there's other countries in Europe work less hours, but get more done in, in a more productive, you know, and that actually makes space for, for rest, I think in Spain, they start work. They start work earlier. They have the whole of the lunchtime and early afternoon off, and then they work again late afternoon, early evening, and then they stay out really late and enjoy themselves. Then, and that's a part of their culture. It's it's not a. It's kind of yeah. You work, but you also have to take care of yourself and rest and enjoy life. You know, it's um, it's 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 a much more balanced way of doing things and there's less shame around enjoying yourself than there is there seems to be in kind of you know like america england these kind of places uh yeah it's 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 a it's a cultural thing really it's not like the normal thing right and it's, it's just not sustainable right like uh industrial organizational psychologists have been studying productivity and how many hours of the, let's say, standard nine to five workday do people actually work and produce something. And they've been studying that for decades now. And over and over again, productivity researchers find the most a person can really work is three to four hours per day. And four is even kind of pushing it, especially if it's something that requires a ton of focus and is really socially isolated work where you're just kind of at your computer or something like that. And it's so strange that um, in the U.S. and I think a lot of other countries that have kind of that workaholic culture, managers see that as a problem and business leaders see that as a problem. And they're constantly trying to solve this puzzle of how do we get people to work more than just those three hours, even though consistently 
that's all that we see people can do. And so, so why don't we just accept that and kind of say, this is what people are capable of. This is what's healthy for people. And maybe we shouldn't keep people trapped on the clock any longer than that. And they can actually have full lives instead of feeling guilty that they're sitting there on Facebook, having trouble focusing because they're at their capacity for the day and they've done all the work that they can do. So it's really backwards. I wish we could just get to a place where we could accept that these limits are natural, they're normal and healthy. They've been observed over and over again. um, And we don't need to be suspicious of them and see them as a sign of us lacking willpower or other people lacking character. We can just, like I said, accept them and work with them and embrace them even. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we need to shift the whole the whole culture, don't we? We need to shift how we do things and how we approach work. Yeah, I mean, it's often that if you have more energy, then you can get more done. If, if you, and of course, if you're working less hours, then you have more motivation to work harder, <laughs> you know, because it's not, it doesn't seem like, it doesn't, you don't get in at nine and think, oh God, I don't, I don't finish till five. Yeah, I mean, that's my working day. I, I work at home, uh, on a laptop all day and I work from nine to five and I have an hour's break for lunch and a couple of other breaks uh, during the day, like coffee breaks, whatever, for 10 minutes or so. Uh, and that's it, you know, and that's what we're meant to do. It's what, it's what we're expected to do. You know, I have a I have a meeting which goes on, goes on for like five hours sometimes, you know, and I don't get a break in that meeting really. And that's like, that's just accepted and normal here. And it's fine. I don't, I can do it. I, I actually enjoy it. Uh, but uh, but at the same time, you, it's really important to take care of ourselves and not push ourselves too much. Because part of being human is, is to rest and to have time for ourselves. And that's actually important for us doing good work. If you want to do good work, we need to be well rested. Um, as well as, you know, we can't just you can't just plow it out every single day. Otherwise you'll burn yourself out. I mean, it's no surprise, is it? That burnout is, is, is so much higher nowadays. Yes. Um, it was bad even before COVID happened, but now burnout is just on an absurd level. And it's because, you know, if we look at, at the research, the workday on average has been getting longer and longer since about the 80s. You know, we had a few good decades where the labor movement in a lot of countries in the U.S. and the U.K. really pushed for shorter workdays. And then, you know, around the time of Reagan and Thatcher, it started to reverse. And so people's workdays have gotten longer and longer. And then you add things like the gig economy. So a lot of people who have full-time jobs or really demanding part-time jobs, they also after they get off work, they drive for Uber or they deliver food or they do some kind of uh, freelance work on a freelancing website, you know, from at home on their computers. And now, of course, under under lockdown and, and with COVID, so many people don't have any kind of work-life boundary that's clear anymore. Um, and so that combined with just the information overload, which I think people sometimes underestimate just how exhausting it can be to take in as much information as we all take in now because of the internet and social media, that's just such a recipe for people being overwhelmed, not able to set priorities because there's just a million fires that you constantly feel like you need to put out and just just being really overwhelmed. And that's just such a recipe for burnout. And burnout is really traumatic. Um, it's not just someone 
being exhausted for a day or two, it can really have a a really long-term toll on a person's mental health and even their capacity to to connect with other people because it's it's just such a profound stripping of uh, of not only the motivation to do things but also just um, the ability to, to care about things. It's really kind of a deep sense of um, of helplessness or hopelessness. Sometimes uh, severe cases of burnout can be so. Yeah, there's we there is a big reorientation that we all really desperately need um, to overcome all of these things, especially right now. Yeah, yeah, there is. I feel like we we have to we we have to rethink how we do things. We have to rethink how we do life, how we orient the world. It's you know, I mean, in many ways, COVID and twenty twenty as a whole has been. Um, a kind of opportunity to reset. You know that we have to take this opportunity because it's it's actually kind of exposed the system that we've lived in for uh, that our nations have lived in for forty years as being unsustainable, and uh, you know it's just not sustainable. And there's so many things that are wrong with it, and we think it's just normal because this is what we've been brought up with. Like you talk about Reagan. And Thatcher, and that's absolutely right. That's where this all started, you know, um, this kind of individualistic, me first, uh, selfish, um, workaholic culture. You know, it uh, that's where it all began. Nobody had ever heard really of a workaholic before the 1980s. I'm sure there were some workaholics before then. But, uh, yeah, but... but, but yeah, I mean, it's become way more prominent. And nobody had heard of burnout either before the 1980s, 1990s. That had, that wasn't even a thing. Uh, so it's, no, it's not surprising. Uh, these things, these, these, these ways we do things aren't, aren't sustainable. Yeah, yeah. You know, we certainly had um, the Protestant work ethic before that and kind of this idea that work is virtuous, um, mm. you know, yeah. the... The U.S. certainly had the like pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of mythology. Um, and we certainly created a lot of like narratives and kind of tried to spread them to the whole rest of the world. So there were grains of it. But I think uh, and I think that can be really deep seated in terms of um, people's outlooks and sense of morality. But I think you're all, I think it's also true that um, when we look at like the structures of power and the systems that used to take care of people and how those have been stripped away since the 80s, it's just created a, a situation where, um, you know, you just don't have as much protection in terms of wealth, social welfare services from the government. You don't have as many benefits from employers um, if you have any, you know, employer benefits at all, um, which many people don't anymore. And so there's been increasingly more and more of a sense of you have to look out for yourself. You have to be this driven individualistic person. You're not part of a web of, of community and society and we all take care of each other. No, you have to worry about your retirement account and saving up money and making money and um, caring for yourself forever. And that is just an incredibly grueling way to live. It's not it's not realistic to how humanity works. We all need each other and we all help one another and rely on each other throughout the course of our lives. And it's also just a game that most people are never going to win. Um, there might be some people who are able to, through a combination of hard work and privilege and luck, 
be okay and be comfortable under those grueling pressures. But it's a vanishingly small number of people and it gets smaller and smaller every year. Um, and and that, that worldview, it makes us feel like we're not doing enough and that we're constantly, um, if we're not working hard, it's like, it can feel like it's life threatening because in a material way, it really, really can be right. And it also makes us less compassionate to other people. If we have that worldview of, well, Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Nobody else is going to take care of you. Um, and so that makes it really hard for us to connect with other people. So it, it and that hurts us too. Um, so yeah, we just really are reaching, I, th- I hope, the nadir of this because I don't, it's just not sustainable. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, um, because we need to, yeah, it's just the only way that humanity is going to survive is, is by changing. And Sadly, what ha- generally happens with these things is that t- things tend to get worse before they get better. Uh, there has to be some kind of, it seems to be human nature, and certainly in Western culture, that we have to, things have to get absolutely the worst they can possibly get before people do something, uh, rather than just changing things. Uh, but they do change. Things do change. And, yeah, I, I, I really hope that we, we, we do make the changes that we need to make, because... If we don't, then we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> yeah. And I do think you're right that COVID has been very clarifying for a lot of people. They're just, just even just for example, um, it having just been Thanksgiving here in the U.S., for a lot of people for the first time, this is the first time that they're not traveling and that they're not spending time with their families. And this is that thing, one of those things that you're just told you're supposed to do um, and you're not supposed to really question it um, and Black Friday shopping too. And this is for a lot of people the first year where this really culturally ingrained thing, most of us aren't going to be doing it or didn't do it. And now that gives us a moment to ask, well, do I actually like doing those things? Do I actually like going out to the mall on Black Friday and fighting with someone over a TV? Do I actually like spending time with that relative or do I just do it because I've been told that I'm supposed to? And so can I set new boundaries and kind of reshape my life. And that's kind of a very different example from, you know, a workplace example. But I think COVID has given us all a lot of time where we're not going through all the same motions that we were going through before. And the system's cracks are just breaking open in such obvious and glaring ways. You know, even things like the the Black Lives Matter protests here, people are kind of waking up to a lot of things and realizing it's not sustainable. So that does make me feel hopeful because I have seen that just change so many people's lives have just they've just changed the way that they're living and what they prioritize um and big disasters like this one even though it's not worth it that we had to go through this i think it does put things in perspective for people um so that's the one good um thing that comes out of it yeah absolutely i agree yeah obviously we none of us would have chosen what's happened to happen um but the least we can do maybe is learn from it and let it teach us something because, uh, yeah, <laughs> otherwise it's, yeah, we've, we've got to learn the lessons. Um, I mean, how did doing all this research affect you and your your routines and your uh, patterns? It's, it's funny. Um, as much as I talk about uh, the need for people to be compassionate uh, with themselves and with others and to not define their value or anyone's value by how productive you are or aren't, I still have these things in the back of my brain all of the time, right? I've still absorbed all of these messages. So one thing that working on this book has really clarified for me is 
just how much farther I still have to go, um, how many benchmarks I still set out for myself that, oh, if I don't write this amount, um, this many days a week, then I'm a failure or I'm a bad writer or I'm not really a writer at all. Or, you know, uh, how many emails do I have to have unanswered in my inbox before I start feeling guilty and shameful? There's just, uh, there's so many things that we can feel like we're not doing enough of and so many benchmarks we can set for ourselves and just so many pressures, uh, social and systematic that are, that really encourage us to think in that way. So I'm just constantly uprooting <laughs> these beliefs in myself. Um, just when I think that I have a really good, healthy kind of serene work-life balance, I notice some weird rule that I've imposed on myself because I think it will make me hardworking, productive, virtuous. And then I have to remember to question, where did that rule come from? What happens if I don't follow that rule? And the answer is almost always that I'm a happier person. I'm kinder to my partner and my family. I actually can appreciate things in life that are beautiful. Uh, and yet it's a lesson that I have to learn over and over and over again, and probably will be learning the whole rest of my life. Yeah, I think you're right. When we've been brought up in this way of thinking, we then have to unlearn it and unlearning it takes a lot of time a lot of therapy and a lot of hard work and yeah and sometimes we may not unlearn it completely because it's that's because it's so ingrained into us from when we're when we're born pretty much and yeah we're not taught the value of rest we're not taught the value of self-care we're not we're not taught the value we're not, we're not taught how to have a balanced life because uh, we've all been sold the story of you go and you work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you make loads of money, you buy a house, you get married, um, you have kids, you make more money, you get a bigger job, you get a bigger house, and then you retire. Yeah, I mean, we're even kind of pushing the retirement age now, and that's really sad as well. You know, it's... Uh, yeah, it's really sad that this is the system that we've we've chosen. We didn't have to choose this. It could have there, could, there was there are, there are other ways to do things that that we didn't that we didn't choose. Right. Yeah. Um, I think bringing up the retirement age is really important, and I think also looking at how we treat disability benefits um, and things like that also seem very intertwined for me. Uh, there's such a outlook that if someone is not able to be productive in certain ways, um, that their life has less value and that we're not going to take care of them as a society. Um, and that, that affects all of us, even those of us that aren't in, you know, aren't marginalized in those ways or are capable of being productive. It just gives us this outlook that the only things that life that matter in life are the things that will get accolades that will earn me money. I think social media has also made it possible that even any little hobby or interest that you have, it's something that you can monetize or try to monetize or try to get lots of page views for. And so then you know, that sucks some of the joy out of even those things too. Um, so people don't have as much opportunity to just kind of play and fail um, and fail without that, without consequence, right? Like, you know, you can make art that isn't good and that, and that can still be a worthwhile endeavor, but because of social media and how achievement oriented our culture is, people think that, no, everything that I make needs to be something shareable and popular and all of these things. But um but as you said, we didn't we didn't have to choose this. We don't have to choose uh, to continue reinforcing this. Like these systems are so 
massive that people have a hard time imagining otherwise. But um, I think we are also now in a moment where clearly that system isn't taking care of people adequately. And that is so obvious on its face now because of COVID that people are um, disengaging more, demanding better, um, and starting to think about, okay, how do we go about uprooting this, which itself will be a huge, huge endeavor, but we can still even on a day-to-day basis do little things to um, look after the people around us, to take care of ourselves, to stop um, measuring our worth by our productivity. And those are small things, but those can really impact our quality of life and help improve the lives of the people around us. And there, there are decisions we can make every day to kind of go against that current. So what kind of what kind of things are you talking about? What kind of decisions? What kind of little things that maybe we wouldn't that we wouldn't we wouldn't think about maybe? Sure, but, yeah. But actually are signs of, you know, this problem and practical things that we can do to, to change that. Sure, yeah. So um so something as straightforward as kind of questioning uh your approach to if you see someone on the street asking for money, right? Um we've had that message ingrained in us that we are not supposed to give homeless people money. Um, Certainly that's something that I overhear a lot uh, in the U S. So something just as simple as, as realizing, Oh, actually I, I can trust someone who's in need to determine what they need the most. So rather than kind of policing what they do with any money I give to them, I can just show them respect as a human being. And if I'm able to help them out, just give them a little bit of, of money. Um, And that's just kind of a small thing that is both um, kind of resisting the cultural pressure that says everyone needs to kind of earn and be virtuous enough to get assistance. You're kind of fighting against that. And you're just showing um, respect for human life without any strings attached, which is something that we desperately need. So just kind of even small things like that and kind of encouraging people around you to think in that way makes a difference in how we approach our fellow human beings. And also, I think, makes it easiest for us to be more compassionate towards ourselves. Um, I think in the workplace, um, it varies how much power someone has to resist workaholism in the workplace. So I don't want to, um, I don't want to blame the victim and say, Oh, if you just do these certain assertive things, then you won't be overworked in the workplace. But to the extent that you can um, set boundaries and resist those kind of unspoken social pressures to be the virtuous little worker bee. So learning when you can say no to things um, and recognizing that slowing down a process and saying no to things that you don't have time for not only helps protect your own physical and mental health, it also helps create more of a workplace culture where people aren't policing one another and judging one another and fighting to be the most hardworking looking person. Um, Again, going back to a lot of that productivity research, there's so many um, workplaces where coworkers are not compassionate with one another and are overworking one another because they each want to look like the hardest working person, the most virtuous person. And so they don't extend any um, compassion or patience even to people who are uh, their peers. So I think those, to the extent that you have the power to in your workplace, and of course that's always going to vary a lot um, by how punitive your manager is and what kind of status you have. But I think that each of us can take steps to kind of foster that culture of trusting other people, believing that everyone is doing their best and is being asked to do too much and being as gentle with ourselves as we can. Um, And that will at the very least, put less misery into the world and um, 
just help us be a little bit more resilient in the face of these things. Well, of course, we do need to fight for much larger um, political solutions at the same time. Yeah, that's right. And it all begins with those little things, doesn't it? It all begins with just little practical steps in just how you think. You know, like the like you're talking about with a homeless person. Instead of making assumptions about them, actually trusting them and believing in their story and trying to support them. Uh, it's, it's a whole different mindset. It, it literally... Even I think often it's those little things, and you do a lot of little things that can actually start rewiring your brain to think differently, uh, and that has obviously a, a knock-on effect and a, a positive one on on you. Uh, and that workplace thing that is so true. It's having worked in an office for offices for a long time. Yeah, the best managers that I had were the ones that actually were their priority was my care, not what I produced so the ones who got that if you took up that if you take care of your staff and you support them and you um encourage them and you give them space uh and you don't put too much pressure on them uh then uh that that that's that creates a better working environment you know it's where people enjoy their work they're probably more productive anyway if they if if it's a positive working environment, they'll probably be more productive anyway. Uh, if we're talking about productivity, um, they'll probably get more work done. All the work they do do will be better, you know, because because they're being treated as human beings rather than human doings. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we know from some of that same research that shows that there's limits to how many hours a person can work per day. That um, a sense of autonomy, feeling like a person is in control of their role and um, a sense of investment uh, in their work is so much more effective than being micromanaged and nitpicked and shamed and guilted. Um, if someone just is constantly doing work because they're trying to avoid getting in trouble or um, just meet really ridiculous high standards um, that are constantly being monitored by someone else, that doesn't give them the room to be creative. Um, it takes the internal motivation away. It sucks all of the joy out of whatever it is they're doing and any sense of reward. Um, and that's that's the, the paradox of our culture's hatred of laziness, that um, when we try to beat out all of the supposed laziness in people, we create an, env an environment that's just anathema to motivation. Whereas when we trust people um, and give them autonomy and treat them with dignity and respect, that's when we get to see what people, um, what they're internally motivated to do and what, you know, beauty and creativity is inside of them. Um, and we do so much to stifle people from getting to live authentically and with that kind of self-possession right now. Um, and that has a big productivity toll. But of course, more importantly, it has just such a huge psychological and emotional toll. It really does, and there's there's links. I mean, I talk about mental health a lot on this show, and it's all connected. Mental health is mental health is is fundamentally affected by our physical health and by how much we push ourselves, and you know, external pressures from work. You know that I you know I know that I've struggled with that sometimes, where I felt a bit overwhelmed, and you know, I've got lots of work and I've got little time to do it, and uh you know that I, i'll get in trouble if i don't do it you know this, this happened years ago you know in not the job i'm in now but um 
yeah, but you can, it just affects your emotional health and your mental health and your physical health. And then you become less productive and you get him. And it just has this kind of spiral effect. And because it's all connected, you know, uh, it's all connected. Our work and how much we work and how we approach our work has an impact on our physical and our mental and emotional health. Absolutely. One one of the people that I spoke to for the book, I talked to a lot of burned out people um, for the book, which was hard to hear some of those stories. I talked to one person who um, she uh, works for a tech firm. So she writes a lot of contracts with the government and it was 80 to 90 hour work weeks pretty routinely. Um, always very high pressure. We have to get this application in on time, incredibly grueling. And she told me about how um, she her gallbladder, gallbladder burst and she kept working because she was just so used to ignoring her body's hunger and discomfort and pain. Because, you know, if you're working 80 to 90 hours per week, you're just ignoring a lot of your body's signals that are just screaming for a break. And so she didn't realize until her, her gallbladder was really in, in really terrible shape. And the thing that was like perhaps the most disturbing about it to me was she talked about when she went to the hospital and she had to be hospitalized. Um, and her doctor told it was it was the most like decayed gallbladder he had ever seen. And she talked about that time that she spent in the hospital with kind of reverence that it was, she was hospitalized, I think for like a week. And she said it was like the best week she had had in years because she could just watch TV and nap. And that just really illustrates just how out of rest and breaks she really was that being hospitalized was like a vacation to her that or the closest thing to one she had gotten. Um, and, um, you know, I myself have, my, have had my own experiences in graduate school where I was just working way too hard and I just got really sick. And um, it, these things are just so connected, being tired, being stressed out, even something like feeling a lack of control over your life is a huge source of stress and trauma for people. Um, to say nothing of the social isolation that comes from working that hard. That's a really profound and profoundly lonely and isolating experience to be working that many hours. And we know that that affects things like a person's immune system too. Um, so it's, it's a public health issue. It's a public mental health issue. Um, and it does have a real cost. And I think for better or for worse, that is something we can kind of lean on when we're advocating for these changes, that these things affect our healthcare systems. They affect um, productivity. So even if you take the most cold-blooded uh, kind of capitalist approach to it, it still doesn't even make sense. Um, it's just not you know, it's inhumane and it also is systematically um, very costly. So there's, it. we just really need to break out of it. Yeah, absolutely we do. And absolutely. And yeah, it was a really good point you made there. And yeah, the, we, yeah, the, we, I noticed when we go on, when you often, when we go on holiday, that we're just recovering from our work. We're not actually having a holiday. You know what I mean? Have you noticed? Like, I mean, when I go on holiday, sometimes my body just slows down, and suddenly I feel really, really tired because I'm not working. And so all the all the tiredness that I kind of stored up while I was working catches up with me, and suddenly I've got this kind of wave of I just sleep and sleep and sleep and rest, and I'm tired for a while before I actually have to have the actual holiday. You you understand what I mean? Oh, yeah. So we're not, we're not really having holidays. We're recovering from <laughs> pushing ourselves too much for weeks and months on end. And that's not healthy either um, because it's like you have to work all the time and then you then you get to rest all the time and there's no there's no balance. 
Right. And there's no play. There's no adventure because you don't even have the time to um, you don't have the energy yet. You, you know, you haven't had the time to catch up and just rest. So then you can actually use your vacation time to do something. Yeah. Have a new experience. Try out a new art form, whatever it is that might be fulfilling and bring meaning to your life. Um, and yeah, there's um, there's a lot of data that um, right after finals week in college, uh, students get sick at way higher rates than at any other point in the semester. And that's just because physically they're like holding in all of the stress and their bodies are just fighting off any infection until they're finally done with final exams. And then their body was doing something that wasn't sustainable. So then their immune system kind of takes a break and then they get sick. And I think anybody who's pulled an all-nighter or had a really intense deadline that you had to just really buckle down and work to get to, and then as soon as you reach that deadline, then you just crashed and maybe got sick. I think we all know that experience. Yeah. Um, and it's and that just really speaks to just how overworked and exhausted we are. And so we really need time to rest. We really need time to engage in self-care. And it's only after that, like we need that time to recharge our batteries. And then beyond that, when we're actually rejuvenated, we need time to waste time, you know, to do something non-productive that's fun and maybe requires energy, but it isn't productivity. It's it's just something that's, you know, good for its own sake. And yeah, like you said, a lot of people just never even get to that point because they're just so behind on sleep and rest that you never get to have any of those kinds of adventures anymore that that also make life really worthwhile. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a it's a whole shift in the way we see the world that needs to happen. Um, but we can take some more steps. And that's really encouraging. Um, thank you so much for sharing this today. It's been really good to talk about this with you. Yeah, thank you so much for for having me. Um, I I hope it wasn't too doom and gloom. I think it's kind of one of those things where uh, it's we're talking about some very bleak and sad things, but it's um, validating to hear other people are seeing it and thinking about it, and that we're reaching a point where we're having these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And there is a way. There is a diff- there are ways we can start to make little changes now, uh, and just being aware is a good start. I think you know and. Yeah, and being open to play and open to having a balanced life and resting well and, yeah, and just spending time for its own sake to to have joy. Um, And I hope we can all find that (laughs) because we need it right now. (laughs) Absolutely, yes. We all need to be so gentle with ourselves and with other people and anything that you can cut back on right now that you won't get in too big of trouble for not doing it, just let some of those things fall so that you can can recharge because we all need it so badly right now absolutely absolutely so where can people uh connect with you devon uh yeah so i have uh writing on medium at devon price that's d-e-v-o-n-p-r-i-c-e dot medium.com so that's where i have a lot of essays and things like that um on social media um instagram and twitter i'm at dr devon price so um O-N-P-R-I-C-E. Um, and then my uh, my book comes out in January. Yeah, this will probably go out after your book comes out as well. So, oh, uh, awesome. So it'll be out. So go and get it um, and give it a read. I I can't wait to, to read the whole thing. It's, uh, yeah, really, really important book, I think, for these times. So, um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And um, thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>